Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. We're going to do a little uh, spiritual training this morning. And in order to get there, I wanted to just kind of share something that I've been noticing or thinking about is that I think a lot of people in the world right now, and particularly in our culture, there is this tug on people's kind of hearts and emotions to get involved in something bigger than themselves. People want to live a life of purpose. They want to live a life of direction and intentionality. Like people are, I think, sort of uh, weary of, I, I don't want to just sign up for the nine to five, get up every day, go to work every day, come home, do nothing. Like I, I want more than that for my life. I want purpose. And, and there in, in this world that we live in with every, the, you know, literally social media and, and internet at our fingertips everywhere we go, there are literally thousands of causes and movements uh, asking us to be a part of them. Like there's so many different things out there and many of them are really cool. Many of them are very good things, fighting for important things, solving important problems. But I think something that we notice is that movements and things that people want to like grab a hold of and be a part of tend to have a short shelf life in the world that we live in. I don't know if you remember the ice bucket challenge. Exactly. And there's so many things like that. And so one of the things that I think is so appealing about Christianity is that it does two things. It, 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 it scratches the itch for so many people that want a life of purpose, that want to be a part of something way bigger than themselves. They want to be involved in pouring their life, their talents, their finances, their creativity into something that's accomplishing something way more than they could ever do on their own, right? And Christianity offers those things, but it also offers something else that makes it so appealing is that it's thousands of years old. Like you get to join up with this legacy of people who have poured in to this movement and you get to realize like this isn't a, a, a flash in the pan kind of thing. Like this is something that will last. It, it's something worth pouring my life and talent and energy and purpose and direction into. The challenge comes with staying the course, which is true of every movement. It is like there's, there is a, there's a cause, a catalyst, a reason to be involved. And then it's like, after time goes by, how do you stay the course? And, and this is for sure one of the biggest challenges of Christianity and for those that lead others in the, a, a faith, that they want to have a faithful faith that, that stays the course, the kind of faith that doesn't stray off track, the kind of, the kind of relationship with God that, that when they start it, they're fired up and excited and committed to the Lord, but also like years later, they're still committed to the Lord. And that's a challenge. That's really a challenge. And, and it's a challenge that Paul was familiar with. So the Apostle Paul, who writes much of the New Testament, was very familiar with this struggle. Like he, he committed his entire life, reoriented everything he was about so that he could be a part of inviting people to this movement of Jesus followers. And, and more than even inviting, like pleading, imploring people to join 
the movement of Jesus followers. He did everything he could to share the truth of the gospel, to invite people to repent and turn from their sin and commit their life in faith to Jesus and then live a life worthy of the honor that God gives them. And he recognized that it's one thing to invite people into the family. It's a whole different thing to help them sustain that commitment, that level of buy-in that they had at the first time. And, and, and Paul would plead with the believers that he would uh, pastor and speak to and lead. He, he, would, he would encourage them, like, stay the course. And one of the things Paul did was use sports analogies, which I thought was cool because they work really well still, right? Right. Yeah. It depends on the sport, right? So the Corinthian church apparently understood uh, running races and marathons because he does a great job at throwing out some uh, analogies that make sense to him. I I love how Paul talks about staying the course. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, this is how he describes it to him. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone, uh, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training to it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Now, I think it's interesting is what Paul's saying here when he's talking about being disqualified. It's not about him saying, I, I could lose my salvation. That's not what he's talking about in this passage. What he's saying is, he's trying to give a little transparency. He's like, I need to walk the walk I need to do, I need to practice what I'm preaching because in the end, if I don't, there's concern that I could be disqualified. I could actually lose my opportunity to share the gospel. I could lose my credibility to invite people to join this movement if I'm only talking the talk, but over the long term, I don't actually follow through with it, right? Like if I say, join this race, but nobody sees me at the finish line. I lose my credibility. And and so he talks about the importance of training and discipline and and preparing yourself. I love his analogy in there, how he talks about like, if you're going to train, train as if you're going to finish the race. In fact, if you're going to put in all the work to try and finish, let's actually try and win, right? How many people train for 29th place out of 30? When you're training, that's what you're, you're like, man, I just hope I'm last, right? No, we're like, we train with intention to win. And so we're going to do, uh, we're going to look at a couple of training techniques because one of the things I, I like about Paul in this analogy here is it's this idea of here's Paul pleading with believers that he has led to the Lord with churches that are following because of his uh, missionary journeys. And he's pleading with them. His heart's desire is that they become full of Christians that finish the race. And, And it's the same heart's desire for so many Christian leaders in the world right now is we want believers in Jesus who will have finish the race faith. We want people who will finish the race. And in order to do that, just like Paul says, it's going to take some training, right? And and so we're going to look at a couple of techniques. And both of these techniques take really two things. There's two things that need to be relevant, need to be present for both of these training techniques. And the first one is this. If you have any hope of getting out of the stands 
and actually getting out on the field and, and really putting your faith into practice with the Apostle Paul and so many others like him, it's going to take commitment. It's going to take commitment. Now, here's the thing. You can want to, right? When we look at these training techniques and talk about what they are, you can be like, oh, that's really cool. That's a good idea. Or I never thought about that like a training technique. I really want to do that. You can want to all you want, but unless you actually commit to do it, it doesn't really pan out, right? Think about the people that, somebody that's really excited to get in shape, they join a gym and they go to the gym and, and they really want to be in shape and they go to the gym and they stand and watch other people work out. And after several weeks of it, the other people are starting to wonder, why is this person coming? Like, this is weird. I don't get what this is all about. Like, you can want to get in shape, but wanting to and committed to are very different things. And so it's going to take commitment to actually put these things into practice. The other thing that both of these training techniques will take is humility. It's going to take commitment and humility. And if those things are present and you apply these techniques, I promise you, you're going to grow in your faith. Your finish the race stamina and endurance and strength will grow. When other people are tired and the world is wearing them down, you will be like the person that somehow seems to be doing okay because you've actually trained your faith to be in shape, to sustain the hard stuff. And so we're going to talk about a couple of techniques, all right? So the first one that you can do to uh, train up your faith is, ready? Singing. Yeah! You guys sound excited. Man, you should have heard the other services. There was clapping, some people jumped up. That's totally not true. They were as excited as you. So when you think about training yourself up spiritually to have strong, finish-the-race kind of faith, probably when you thought about ways to train, you did not automatically think, man, I should sing more. But I'm about to tell you why it is so important. Specifically, singing songs to remember God's word, God's character, or declare our love or commitment to him. David, one of the most famous leaders in God's history, just was such a a master at this. He took it so seriously when it came to singing and worshiping daily. He, He sang the songs of his ancestors. He wrote new songs. He made up new melodies. He made up songs. And so many of those songs were him writing about uh, his experience with God. He would talk about who God was and, and, and how God saw him and how he saw God. And, and based on ways that God had acted and been involved in his life, he would write about uh, things that were uh, truths about God that he had learned from the stories. He would sing about his struggles and the hard things that were going on and how he was pleading with God for help. He really kind of made a song for just about anything. And and many of them are recorded in the book of Psalms. I want to read some of the words that he wrote. And just to think about like the power of singing out words like this. Psalm 145 verse 1 says, I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. 
Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. I will proclaim, or your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. Like you think about those words coming off of your lips. It, it, you, I know about, I don't know how you guys are like this, but it, for me, sometimes you can read something and about three minutes later, you forget what you read. Or you could read like a whole chapter of a book and then you're like, wait, I think I need to reread it because I was half sleepy and I don't remember what the chapter was about. There's something about the intentionality of singing. You don't sort of accidentally sing a whole song out loud, Right? It takes some purpose, some commitment. The fact that David sang these songs, wrote worship, it was such a huge part of his leadership. It played into, it's not the only reason, but it's certainly a reason that we can read the words of this historian Pliny, who is a Roman historian who lived uh, after the time of Jesus. And he wrote uh, uh, some historic accounts of the day recording what was going on. And he wrote a letter to the emperor Trajan at the time in about 112 AD. So mind you, this is like maybe 1,200 years after David. So maybe 1,200 years after David is leading God's people, worship is an integral part of his leadership and personal walk with God. Maybe 1,200 years later, we read a person who's not a Christian reporting about things going on in the world at that time. And he says, these believers were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light when they sang an anthem to Christ as God and bound themselves by a solemn oath not to commit any wicked deed. That's the way God's people were described from an outsider. They're like, here's what I know about them. They get up before light and assemble to sing an anthem. I don't know about you guys, when you think about that, like it, it conjures up a picture in your mind. A, a gathering of people singing an anthem does not sound like a small group whispering, right? I, I'm an 80s kid, so when I think anthem, like Journey comes to mind, right? Like Stadium, you know, Queen has some pretty good anthem songs. I think like epic 100,000 people in the audience when I think anthem. I think about that. Like God's people got up before light. That's what they were known for. That was part of their practice of their faith. Remembering God's word, his character, singing songs to declare their love and commitment to him. And here's the thing. When people do that, you know what it, it does? It results in this long-lasting, sustainable faith. It'll carry you through the ups and downs. Because your faith is in shape, it's growing. But like I said, it also takes humility, right? And the truth is, a lot of people just don't sing because they don't want to. And here's why. And I can say this because I've been in this camp. I'm, I still have a lot of areas I'm growing in my personal relationship with the Lord. This is one that is pretty much behind me at this point. 
but I've been there. Is People don't sing because they're really worried about what people think about them. They're really worried about how they sound, about how they're going to look, about who will see them doing what. Like They're worried about their tone. They're worried about like if it's out of key or they say the wrong word or all that kind of stuff, or, or it just seems different or weird. And here's the problem. The problem is at, uh, at, if we peel the onion back a little bit, behind the I don't want to or it's weird or uncomfortable, behind that, underneath it, is really just the same old stuff we always struggle with, pride. It's just pride. It's, it's at the root, it's just you, your little inside person going, well, you pride yourself at not being weird. You pride yourself at being like not sticking out, not causing a scene. You pride yourself at keeping your emotions under wrap. Like what if that tugs on your heartstring? What if you're singing those words and it's emotional? Like we don't do that. Not in public, right? And at the root, there's this pride battle going on inside of you. And I'm just here to tell you that, that that's the kind of pride that will stunt your growth when it comes to your faith really growing. If you want finish the race kind of faith, if you want to have a faith that stays the course with Jesus, if you look around and you see people and you're like, I don't understand how they can be at peace, content. I don't know. I don't see how they can have joy in the midst of all the hard stuff they've been going through. Like, have you seen what's happening in their life? And they keep talking about Jesus like they love him. And you're trying to go like, is that really real? Or is it fake? Like, and if you know him, you're like, it seems so sincere. They, they genuinely seem Okay. But it doesn't make sense because look at how hard this or that or whatever is. It's because they have finished the race kind of faith that'll hold up through hard times. If you want that, pride is a definite growth stunting thing. And so it's going to take dealing with that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take getting over it. Trying some things that you're not used to trying. Being willing to be uncomfortable being willing to be embarrassed, being willing to have someone look at you and think you're weird. If you're willing to do that, you're also, in a really cool way, following in the footsteps of people who are willing to face all kinds of persecution so that you would have the gospel that you have today. It's a good place to be. That. The other technique that I want to tell you about that'll help us grow our faith is prayer. And this is one that's real familiar with people. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Yep, got it. Yep, check. Oh, yeah, I've done that. I pray, right? Here's the thing. Prayer in and of itself is as simple as talking to God. It's not an overly complicated thing to understand just in general. But what happens a lot is when we talk to each other about, um, hey, how's your relationship with the Lord going? Or how's your prayer life? If I say that to people, nine times out of 10, I get some sort of answer and you guys share with each other, like, and not as good as it could be. It's like, okay, well, that's a safe answer of saying you haven't prayed in six months, right? Like, what, what does that really mean? And it's like, well, I don't know. I really, I kind of, and then you peel, you push a little bit. Like, I really care. Like, like, how is your prayer life? And it's like, well, I'm not really praying, I guess. I mean, like, I feel like I'm not supposed to tell anybody that, right? And people just finally, like, admit, like, I don't, don't really pray that much or only at dinner time, but it's the same thing I always say every day, right? And, and here's the thing. 
if we go past that answer of the, like, I struggle to pray, or I'm having a hard time praying, or I just don't pray very often, and we look beneath the surface and go, what's really going on? Why are people really struggling with that? It's because people are oftentimes wrestling with this doubt that God's really there, that God really cares, that God really actually listens and hears, right? Like, like you're trying to tell me that prayer is as simple as talking to God and God is, is there and near and close, but it sure feels like God is in this far off heavenly realm, that he's a long ways away. And people wonder, like, does God really actually care? Like he seems, I, I love that God's there and knows everything and he's all powerful, but, but he's got to be way too busy to deal with my conversation with him about my coworker, right? Like, is this really a conversation that God needs to get brought into? And at the root, it's us exposing ourselves that we're actually wondering if God's even real. And if he is real, why would he want anything to do with us? And the problem is, when you get on this slippery slope of thinking that God's something that he's not, that he's farther away than he is, that he doesn't care about what he does care about, you're being misinformed by somebody that's whispering in your ear to tell you things that are not true about God. But when you go to the source of truth and you dig into God's word and you read the scriptures anywhere, any place, what you will find over and over and over and over again is that the Bible reveals that God is near, that God is among his people, that God is with his people, that God loves deeply his creation, that God is committed to intervene on the biggest of things and the littlest of things. And all of a sudden, the, the truth that you begin to see about who God is and what God's like isn't anything about what you thought maybe he was. And all of a sudden, talking to God starts to become something that sounds really tangible. Like, I actually think it's a thing. Like, it's true. Like, God does want us to talk to him. God does want to answer and hear and care about our prayers. But again, humility comes into place, right? Like it's one thing to commit to it and try, but then there's humility. And humility, it, like we have to wrestle with our own personal stuff. What's holding us back? Why don't we want to talk to him? I want to teach you a word that I think will help us when it comes to praying. Um, it's a, a Hebrew word that it's a fun one to say. It's easy to remember. And I think, I hope that it sticks in your brain. Um, kind of like the song you can't get rid of, right? I, in a good way. I hope it sticks in your brain and it spurs you to push, to like actually go for praying in this way. So here's the word. You ready? Ready? Did y'all go to the last quarter of the game last night? All right. I'll have mercy on you. You ready? Here we go. Kavana. Okay, try it. Kavana. Nice. Okay, now here's the thing. I want you to, when nobody's listening later, I want you to say that like four or five times with a bunch of different accents until you find the one you really like. Kavana. 
nah, right? Like you try it out until you find one that sticks, and then it'll be stuck in your craw in all the right ways. Kavana. So here's what that word means. It means intention or direction. And the rabbis would teach that a prayer without kavana is like a body without a soul. Just a dead, lifeless corpse, right? Like a prayer without kavana is like a body without a soul. And so they would teach about kavana, about purpose and intentionality and approaching your prayer with this purpose and freshness and direction. And here's why. Jews often will pray a lot of prayers that are memorized and recited. And as you can imagine, if you memorize a prayer and then every day, about the same time of day, you say the same prayer, you could understand how over time, weeks, months, years on end, saying the exact same prayer, it'll sort of just fall out of your mouth without any purpose because you've said it so many times. And so they're teaching them, like, you need to come back to those same prayers, those same words, and pray them with kavana, with purpose, with direction, right? And, and all of us do the same sort of thing. All of us at times have struggled with, like, I pray, but every once in a while I just sort of realize I just prayed the same thing. I pray, like, the same types of words just come out of my mouth without a lot of purpose. They, I just sort of almost accidentally pray very similar prayers day after day after day. And so the challenge for us is the same, to pray with kavana, right? To pray with intentionality and purpose. And I think it's what Paul had in mind when he was writing in 1 Thessalonians, a, a passage that a lot of us have heard and maybe never understood. He says in there, he says, pray without ceasing is in some translations. Others say it more real uh, concrete. It says, never stop praying. Other translations will say, pray continually. And we've read that at times or heard about it. And we sort of go like, well, how do you pray all the time? We take this really concrete, literal approach. How do you pray all the time? But I think what Paul is saying is like, pray with kavana. Like, like don't stop the practice of praying with intention and direction. And, and I want to give you guys uh, a little secret weapon when it comes to faith building and, and having finished the race kind of faith. When you came in, you got handed uh, some papers that were stapled together, separate from your sermon notes. And you had no idea. You had no idea that I just gave you, just gifted you something amazing. Because what you have in your hands is a prayer that's been around since the time of Nehemiah. It's called the Amidah. It means standing, and so this prayer traditionally was recited while standing. This prayer was old when Jesus was born, and when Jesus grew up as a young boy, he would have heard his father Joseph reciting this prayer twice a day his whole life. Jesus would have memorized and known this prayer by heart and prayed it a couple of times a day as long as he was on earth. When he taught his followers to pray, he's pulling pieces and summarizing for them things that he had buried in his heart from knowing this Amidah prayer. 
And so when, when we're thinking about like, how can we be intentional about growing, stretching our faith, like having finished the race kind of faith, and we want to train on purpose with intentionality, like we can sing, we can stretch ourselves to be uh, humble and overcome some of our pride stuff and sing the words of God. We can also pray. And sometimes people are like, oh, that sounds awesome, but I just wrestle with what do I actually pray? Like, I, I don't know where to start. I just handed you a thousands of year old prayer. You can learn a prayer that, that was around and recited by God's people long before Jesus, by Jesus, by the disciples, and by literally tens of thousands of God-following people ever since then. This is a little bit like going to a, a personal trainer and saying, I want to get in shape. And they're like, okay, I don't do this for many people. The only people I've ever actually worked on with this type of training is a couple of Olympic athletes that won gold medals. This isn't everyday average Joe training. This is if you want to be an Olympian. If you want to be among the elite and you're like, whoa, um, yeah, that's what you just got. You want to be among the elite in the Christian faith? Do you want to have super strong faith? Dig into the Amidah. Put that in your repertoire. Start training, learning that. I I mean, how awesome would it be to memorize it? Could you just, on recall, on a Tuesday or on a Thursday night, could you just pop off the Amidah because it's treasured, it's stored in your heart? That would be pretty powerful stuff. So we're going to finish... um, with communion this morning, okay? And then we're going to have a time of worship together uh, a little bit longer than we normally do because we want to just give ourselves a chance to um, train together, to practice growing our faith, getting out of our comfort zone, and singing, actually putting into practice what we're learning. And so if you would grab your communion cups that you got when you came in, every week at Real Life, we take communion together. And we do that for several reasons. One, because God's word says that uh, Jesus taught as often as we get together to do this in remembrance of him. And so that seems like a wise principle. But we also just know that life gets busy and that it's easy to go from one week to the next and forget how awesome our God is and forget how amazing God's grace is, how powerful his forgiveness is. We start to carry our junk with us week after week. And as a church and as a family, this is one of the ways where we can go, we're not going to be week after week sin carriers. No matter what, you can come here and you know that you're going to be reminded that Jesus made a way for your sin to be forgiven. To be restored into a right relationship with God. And that that comes because of what he accomplished on the cross. Every week we remember that Jesus' body was broken for us. We remember that by the bread that we eat. Let's take the bread together. And the cup represents his blood which was shed for the forgiveness of our sins so let's take the cup and remember that I know as I was talking about singing and talking about pride and touching on some of those nerves there's probably some people in here that got a little uncomfortable on the inside 
Here's the deal. You're among friends. You're among family. We're way more concerned about your relationship with God than your singing voice. Let today be the day that you stretch. Kind of like somebody taking you, a personal trainer taking you in the gym and saying, I know you've never tried this machine over here before and you're intimidated by it and it it seems a little overwhelming and you're worried that people are going to think you look weird the first time you try it. And he's like, but trust me, I'm going to just walk through this with you. This is the machine you need to help you grow and achieve the goals you want. Like, that's what this is. Stretch, try something new. Let's worship our God together. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.